Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Now, when I was 22 years old, I bought my first car, and this was my first car. It was an old Toyota Tercel, and it was like all older cars. It had lots of problems with it, lots of quirks that made it interesting. Uh, In fact, uh, it you had to push it to start it. It needed a new starter. I was dating Shelly at the time, and uh, it needed a new starter, but I was a youth pastor on a youth pastor budget, so it wasn't in the budget. And in fact, what I would do is I'd, I'd park on an incline, I'd leave the driver's door open, I'd push it down the incline, jump in, turn the ignition, shove it into first gear, and then I'd go. <laughs> and I knew Shelly was a keeper because what I drove didn't seem to matter to her, and it still doesn't to this day, and so I knew she was a keeper then. One of the more interesting quirks about this car is that the gas gauge didn't work. It was always on empty. And so I had to guess if I had enough gas. And twice I guessed wrong. The first time, I was by myself. I was nowhere near uh, a gas station. It was frustrating. It was very inconvenient. It was very frustrating. The second time I guessed wrong, I was driving a guest speaker from the church I was pastoring at back to the airport. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. See, anytime you run out of gas, it changes everything. And this whole series about living on empty is acknowledging that when we live on empty, it changes things. When we live on empty, we're no longer able to put other people's needs and even their desires before our own. Why? Because if you're empty, then you're desperate for you. It's when we're living on empty that we say and do things that under different circumstances, when our tank is full, we'd never say or do those things. Can can we just pause for a moment and acknowledge that maybe all of us are running a little low these days? That maybe all Canadians are running a little low in their tank these days? That people are saying and doing things that maybe under different circumstances, maybe if their tank was a little higher, they wouldn't be saying and doing? I think right now, we're not seeing the best versions of others, and maybe they're not seeing the best versions of us. So I would say that maybe this is a good season that we consider editing ourselves and gracing others. This is a great season to practice that. What do I mean by that? Well, by editing ourselves, you need to acknowledge that when your tank is low, when you're living on empty, this is a place where you can become more brittle and more critical. It's where we become more brittle and critical. It's when we see people and we see situations and we see things as a problem that is keeping us from what we need or want, the gas we need to refuel in that moment. You know, there's that old saying, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And when you're living on empty, that's what it's like. You begin to, you can begin to hammer away at people on your computer keyboard. You can hammer away at the people that are around you even. And you can certainly hammer away at the people you disagree with. 
I mean, the people that maybe think differently than you, and we can begin to characterize them as villains or even as being subhuman. Be careful, friends. Be careful if maybe the tank is not as full as it is. I mean, around you, there's plenty of fuel for you to fight back against other people, but that's not actually the Jesus way. You know, the interesting thing, one of the many things I love about Jesus is the many different people that Jesus encounters, the lepers, the immoral, the liberal-minded people, the conservative-minded people, the vaxxed, the unvaxxed, men, women, children, the, the people that had mental illnesses or disabilities or even were emotionally depleted. For Jesus, they were always a person before a problem. You know, and one of the indicators that your tank is a little low is that we begin to reverse that. That we see the people in our lives as a problem before a person. Uh, See, the only way you can edit yourself is you need to have a good gas gauge. You need to have a good indicator as to where the level of your fuel is in your life. See, uh, when, we, when we are living uh, on empty, what we do is we can move between being brittle and being critical. Now, some of us can do both at the same time, but likely, personality-wise, temperament, mindset, situationally, we lean one way or the other. Personally, I know my tank is low because I've become more brittle. I fray at the edges. Comets stick to my soul. Anxiety kind of goes up. I enter into what I call the crazy cycle. Replaying comets, they stick to me. I have trouble getting rid of them. And it's really frustrating place to be because I have to acknowledge that there's a fragility in me. And I, I hate it. I don't like it. It scares me. I need to refuel in those moments. How about you? Which is it? Where, where do you land? Do you lend maybe that maybe you lean more towards the critical side when your tank is low? And if you do that, you don't fray at the edges, you fray the edges of others. In fact, if we lean towards that, we use our words and we can weaponize them so easily uh, in order to get to the fuel or get beyond the person or the situation or the thing that we see as inhibiting us from getting the fuel that we need. And you too enter into a bit of a crazy cycle where you begin to hammer away at all the nails that you see around you but there's also a fragility in you. And the thing that's interesting is that it doesn't scare you, it scares others, because you, f- you feel dangerous in those moments. Friends, when you see those indicators, you know it's time to edit yourself. It's time to refuel, because when you're living on empty, you need to edit yourself, but we also need to grace others. Because when my tank is low, when I don't have much fuel in me, here's what I do. I can enter into a place of being judgmental or unforgiving. Now, often they go hand in hand. If you're someone that when your tank is low, you become more brittle, usually you hold on to unforgiveness if you're not careful. If you, maybe when your tank is low, you you become more critical, then you can become quite judgmental. What's interesting is we have an opportunity to extend grace in these moments. Now, Jesus talked a lot about being uh, being judgmental and unforgiveness. 
And, you know, I wouldn't be much of a pastor. I really wouldn't be if I attempted to edit Jesus' words or somehow water down Jesus' words. Listen, this is how I like Jesus, Jesus' words. I like it straight up like my coffee. No additives, nothing put in, just I like it straight up. And so why don't we start with a good cup of Jesus' words today as we look at what it means to live maybe a less judgmental life. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. He said, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, now, in other words, you can do that. I mean, you can pick on people. You can jump on their failures. You can certainly criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. What do you mean, Jesus? Well, the judgmental spirit has a way of boomeranging. Have you ever noticed that in life? Have you ever experienced that in life? It has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see the smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? I like this line of Jesus here. It's the whole traveling roadshow mentality over and over again, playing holier than thou part instead of living your part. Ever notice that in life? You can easily get into that cycle. And that's why sometimes religious people in particular don't smell good to people because it feels like, you know, there's levels of hypocrisy that we can demonstrate. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. See, what Jesus is driving at is we have an opportunity, especially in our world today where everybody's tank's a little low. We have an opportunity to edit it ourselves and grace others. Here's what grace is. Grace is the gift you give someone precisely because they don't deserve it. You don't, grace is not something, if somebody deserves it, it's not really grace you're giving them. It's, it's deserved. Grace is what you give those people that don't agree, don't, don't believe what you believe. It's the thing you extend to the people that might even be wrong. But Pastor Jonathan, what if they wound you? What if they hurt you? Well, then you, you have an opportunity to give grace in the form of forgiveness. Again, Jesus' word straight up, he says this. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. Hey, this is really important, especially if you're new to faith or even if you've been a follower of Jesus. A lot of followers of Jesus get this wrong. They don't understand that we live a connected life. And that's where the word integrity comes from. It means an integrated life. In other words, I can't treat you terrible. In, in this conversation over here and come out and, and raise my hands and somehow God's gonna honor that. Or in scripture, it'll say things like this, like if, if you're not treating your spouse well, I'm not gonna hear your prayers. It says things like this in scripture. Like, it's interesting. We love to keep our life segmented. Like there's work Jonathan, there's home Jonathan, there's alone Jonathan, and God doesn't see it that way. And, and you know, there's, there's spiritual Jonathan, God says, no, no, no. How you handle this affects this, affects this, this, this. It's an integrated life. So in prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. Maybe I should say that again. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. 
If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Not my words, his words. Here's the interesting thing. Can you imagine as a community, if we were a group of people, a community, a family of people who edited ourselves and graced others? Do you realize how attractive we would be to the city of Toronto or wherever community you're a part of? I saw people in the chat room from, from Bob Cajun and, and, and different locations in, in our province and, and across the country. Wherever you are, could you imagine how attractive that community would be who edits themselves and graces others? Hey, our city and our world are, is perishing for communities that smell and look and act like the person of Jesus who edits himself and extends grace to others. What I want to explore, and Pastor Matt mentioned this earlier, I want to explore in the, in the next part of our teaching, I just want to explore one of the greatest tank-emptying habits that all of us have. And we're going to try to find some solutions around this because I want you not to live on empty. I want you to experience just being Build up that you have an overflow to extend to the people around you in your life, in your home, uh, in, in your neighborhood, and of course, in our city. So here, here's, the, here's where we're headed. How to let go of what you can't control. Can we start by acknowledging that there are many things that you and I, we can't control. I mean, it doesn't stop us from trying, but we can't control. Here's some things. You can't control change. We try to, right? We resist it. We do all kinds of things, but you cannot control change. You can initiate it. You can try to manage it, but you cannot control it. Here's some things you can't control in terms of change. You can't control the fact that we're all growing a little bit older even as I speak. This is why we are a community that honors and graces our seniors and others because for many reasons, but for, you know, if you need a reason today, you'll be there someday. You can't stop that from, you are constantly in a state of change. It's uncontrollable. You can't control the fact that your children will leave you someday. You can't control the fact that your friends will change, that the city will change, the culture will change. You can't control those things in your life, that your lives will change. You can try to manage it, but you cannot control it. Here's a hard thing for us people, people. You can't control what others think of you. Man, have you tried that though? I mean, you can try to manage it, you can try to shape it, you can try to influence it, but be careful. And let me talk to my fellow people, people, people. I love people. And the danger is you could become a chameleon if you're not careful. And you could become and not an integrated person. It could lack integrity because you, you become a chameleon depending on the situation. All to, get, all to help people love you. Listen, you can't control what other people think about you. And if you ever lead, you learn that quickly. You just cannot control it. No, but despite what, it doesn't matter even what the facts are, you can't control it. So, but we try. We spend a lot of energy trying that. You can't control the future, although we really try to do that, you, but you can control it. You can't control, and this is a hard one, you can't control who your family is or who they will become. You can't control who your mother, father, siblings, or extended family are. You have no control over that. You have no control over where you're born. And you can't control what your children will become someday or the people in your family will become someday. You can't. And sometimes, let me talk to the parents here. 
gotta be careful. Because as your children age, there's a, you have to move from controlling to influencing. When they're really little, of course you're controlling their environment for safety reasons. But as they grow older, you've got to do the releasing process. Why? Because if you don't and you continue to try to control, you're either really going to damage your children or you're going to alienate yourself from your children. There are many things we can't control. I can't control the weather. We can't control the traffic, not in Toronto. I know that. We cannot control many of those things, but it doesn't stop us from trying. We try to control things. We try to control outcomes. And dare I say, sometimes we try to control people. And it leads to a lot of disappointment, pain, anxiety, anger. And what it does is it begins to empty your tank. And so you're a little less resilient and a little less strong in life. So let me give you a truth today. This should be freeing, hopefully, for many of us. Here's the truth. Letting go of control takes a lot less energy and effort than trying to maintain control of everything. Letting go of control of those uncontrollable elements takes a lot less energy and effort than trying to maintain control of everything. And let me talk to, because every one of us has a little bit of a control freak in us. And some of us have bigger control freaks inside of us than others. And maybe you know who you are. Some of us are killing ourselves, trying to control everything in our lives. Some of us are driving our family and friends nuts. You're driving them crazy, trying to control them, trying to control outcomes, trying to control the environment around them. And it takes so much energy that you often feel just depleted. You come into gatherings like this, just hoping to get something to fill you up because you're running on empty, trying to control uncontrollable things. In 1944, an American theologian, Reinhard Niebuhr, wrote a prayer in part of a talk he was giving. And the prayer became quite famous, and many of you might know it. And I'd love you to say it out loud with me, wherever you might be. Would you say this prayer with me? This is what Reinhard wrote. He said, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change. In other words, the things you can't control. To accept them. The courage to change the things we can control. In other words, he's saying, but there are some things you can control. And the wisdom to know the difference. The wisdom to know the difference. What does he mean? What, do, what is he driving at here? Well, there are many things that are actually within our control. And here's the interesting thing. As we take responsibility over the things we do have control over, it actually adds fuel to our tank. And the more we continue to try to control the things we cannot control, it actually depletes our tank. So Pastor Jonathan, what are those things we can control? Well, Scripture helps us with this. Scripture says that you and I have self-control. Here's what it says. Paul writes this, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love, and say it with me, self-control, self-control. This means that I have control over my responses to others. You know, uh, Pastor Keith, I remember a teacher he did a number of years ago, but it always resonated with me. You know, he, he helped us to understand that nobody can make you angry. We choose that. I, I get to choose my response to people. I have self-control over how I respond to others. 
That's within my realm of control. Now, the lower your tank is, the harder it is to do these things. But I have control over my attitudes and my opinions. I get to choose my attitude. I get to shape my opinions. I have control over that. Here's a beautiful one. I have a control over the level of my gratitude. I don't, you know, if you're waiting for situational moments to make you feel, you know, to express gratitude, you could be waiting for, you know, birthdays moments or some high moment where you have something extra special. Listen, I've experienced in life, I've seen some of the most gracious people, people filled with gratitude, and I might look at their life from my vantage point and going like, what do you have to be thankful for? Friends, you don't have to look hard to find something to be thankful for. The air that fills our lungs, the food we have, the freedom we have, the so many things that we've been blessed with. And you get to choose the level of your gratitude. I'd really encourage you to level up in this season. If you level up in this season, a lot of the drama in the season will dissipate. Level up with your gratitude. I, I get to choose the level of my honesty. I get to choose the level, I, I get to choose uh, my, where my money and my spending goes, I can control that. I can control my decisions and choices. And there's many more things. We have incredible amounts of control over certain things in our life. But how often do we expend energy on things we cannot control at the expense of the things we could? And this is why a lot of these things are in disarray in our life because we're spending all of our energy on things that we cannot control in this life. So here's the truth. The truth is this. Letting go of control is a lot easier when you know someone you trust is in control. And this is really going to be the freeing part. This hopefully is going to help us let go of the uncontrollable elements and embrace the controllable ones. The self-control that you and I and God's spirit has given us the power to I admit self-control. So it's easier always to relinquish control when you know someone you trust, someone you love is actually in control. It's a benevolent level of control. It's like when you're young, if you have a good parent, you do surrender control. They set your agenda. They tell you when to go to bed. They give you what to eat. You surrender a lot of control to your parents because you know they love you and they're doing their best by you, even if they're imperfect human beings. You can give up control then. When you, when you sit in a chair, and some of you may be sitting right now, when you do, you are trusting, you are giving control to the chair. Your muscles relax and you lean into it and you're trusting that that chair has got you in that moment. The problem we all face and the reason why we hold on to uncontrollable elements and we try to control outcomes is because we need to answer this question. Do we really believe that God is in control? That's a really hard question to answer because on the surface, in, especially in a church gathering on a Sunday, you know, whenever you're viewing this, you, know, uh, you can sit there and go, yeah, well, of course God's in control in church. But when you look around the world, you're going like, really? If he's in control, then the second question is, can God be trusted then? And that's a great question. Is God in control and can he be trusted? See, how do you surrender control of the things and people you cannot control? How do you address the control freak that's inside of all of us? Well, again, I think scripture helps us. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible 
is it's filled with imperfect people. The only perfect person being Jesus. All of the heroes of our faith, man, they were a bit of a mess at times. But you can see throughout scripture, you can see all of these people who tried to take control of outcomes. You can go back to the Old Testament and see Sarah and, and Abraham and, you know, and with Hagar and trying to control an outcome and wants a child and is going to make it happen. You can see over and over all of these moments where they're trying to control. And the reason why, and this is the gift of scripture, is the reason why Sarah and others and, and we even today try to take control of uncontrollable things is because we have a a limited perspective. A limited perspective. We really do. And this is why we, you and I try to control our spouses, our children, our work situations. We try to control things. Wherever humans are, we begin to try to control uncontrollable elements. And we often do it with anger and anxiety. See, with our limited perspective, we are really focused on short-term wins not at recognizing that there are long-term losses sometimes attached to those short-term wins. And that limited perspective, and every parent knows this, you know this, anger gets you short-term wins with your children. They'll comply quickly. They will comply quickly. Uh, some of us know this, that anxiety can actually get you short-term wins with your spouse. They'll jump and serve you oh, well, this is making you anxious. I'll change everything. No, we won't do that, or we won't go there, or don't do it, or we'll get on our kids for it. That we know that anger, sometimes uh, people express anger, and it gets them the short-term win of people, people are going to listen to me now. They'll have to listen to me. And, and we know that anxiety sometimes gets those short-term wins. Have you ever had that friend or that person in your people group and, and they express worry or anxiousness or they sulk or whatever it looks like and all of a sudden everybody jumps to try to make it better for them? But at what expense? Uh, our short-term anger may win with our kids, but it produces long-term anxious children. Short-term anxiety or anxious wins produce angry spouses and people in our lives because they begin to feel used over time. Our short-term anger may make people listen to us, but it makes us angrier and angrier and angrier people. Why? Because that level of anger that they listen to, all of a sudden, after a while, they begin to tune out. So you got to level up, and you got to level up, and you got to level up. And the angrier we get, the more isolated we become and the less friends we think we have. And then sometimes with our anxiety, and we press that anxious button too much, more than, and I'm not talking about medical anxiety problems, friends, because, uh, you know, we need to have compassion. I love how Pastor Keith has taught about this, and we as a community believe strongly in good counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists and, and good medication that can help people just get unstuck and move forward in their life. I'm, I'm talking about that manipulative type of anxiety that gets expressed in a moment. And it moves people towards us, but eventually it moves people away from us. It has the reverse effect. But see, God doesn't work from the limited perspective. He works from a long-term perspective. But there's some good news and bad news with that. With a long-term perspective, we can experience short-term losses. I mean, if you're going to take the score in, the, in, in a, just a pictured moment, it might look like you're losing, but there's a long-term win behind it. 
And this is a little harder for us to understand. The Apostle Paul, one of the most famous, often quoted verses, and sometimes I would dare I say some, one of the least understood verses at times. He says this, he says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good. I don't think we know that. I think it's a great verse. I think it's something we use to encourage people when they're down. I think it's something that when people are going through a tough time, we say, hey, God works all things together for good. And we kind of push that button. But do you know that? See, if you are trying to control uncontrollable elements, we don't really know that. Paul says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Well, there's, there's, I'm going to take you right back into the Old Testament to help you understand what Paul's saying. It's all about perspective, all about perspective. In Genesis, there's this area, this place, this location called Dothan. And in Dothan, that's where Joseph gets sold into slavery by, the, by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit, and if you know the story of Joseph, there's some slave traders coming through the area and they sell him into slavery and he goes to Egypt. Well, in Dotham, Joseph cries out and says, Jesus, or not to Jesus, God, deliver me, deliver me. Don't let me get sold into slavery. And what does he experience? A short-term loss. Silence. Silence. He is sold into slavery uh, he has a horrible and miserable and difficult number of years there. But century later, in the same area of Dothan, it's become a large city by then. And Elijah is there, the prophet. And surrounding this city is a great enemy army ready to crush Elijah and, everyone, Elijah and everyone that lives there. And Elijah calls out to God, God, save us. And chariots of fire come down and consume the enemy. It's a great victorious moment. It's incredible. It's a moment of salvation, a moment of answered prayer. It's a win. It's an incredible moment there. In the story of Joseph, we know, if you know the story, that if he hadn't been sold into slavery, hundreds and thousands of people would have died. Not only that, his family would have died. In fact, this is what we need to understand from this story in Dothan, is that God is, is actively working in the story of Joseph as he was in the story of Elisha. It's just from Joseph's limited perspective, it looked like silence. It looked like silence. It looked like slowness. But God was actively working out a long-term win in that moment. When the Apostle Paul says, we know all things work together for good, what he's really saying is, no matter, what, no matter how much bad stuff is happening inside of us, no matter how much bad stuff is happening around us, you can be assured that God is absolutely, infallibly, unchangeably loves you, and he is working on it. Now, it's so easy to say, friends, and I know it's hard to live. And I know it's hard to stay in the pocket of that, in the pocket of trust that says, okay, God, I can trust you with these uncontrollable elements. Some of you might feel like Joseph relationally. God, where's my special somebody? Where is he? Where is she? 
and we look around and we see like Elijah level relationships. All these other people, they seem to have found their perfect mate in life. They, for, you know, they found their great friend in life. They, they found out what's wrong with me? What's going on? What are you doing, God? And we're tempted in those moments to take control, take matters into our own hand. Maybe, maybe take some shortcuts to try to get that person because God is obviously not on the job, right? Some of us feel like Joseph parentally. We look around and, and we're looking at our children or looking at our family. We're seeing all these other posts on Instagram and Facebook of all these other families. Look at their kids, they got another scholarship. Of course they did. <laughs> oh, their kid got a scholarship found someone to love in life, married, and now they're having grandchildren. And we, what? What's going on with us? And you begin to do this comparative analysis and you're tempted to take matters in your own hand and control your kids and put pressure on them and pressure on others around you. Why? Because God, I'm feeling like Joseph here. And you're looking around and of course, listen, social media is great at this. It's always gonna show you Elijah level stuff. Nobody's getting on social media and saying, listen, my kid (laughs) is falling short here. Or my, no, nobody's doing that. And if they did, we know there's something wrong with them, right? I, and so we find ourselves taking matters into our own hand. Friends, uh, maybe many of us watching right now, we feel like we're living a Joseph-level life. And if we're honest, we'd say, God, why is my life so hard? Why is this so difficult? I feel like if there's a bad card in the deck, it always gets dealt to me. And I look around and I see Elijah level living. People seem successful in their career. People seem to be able to keep it all together. They just seem to have the perfect family. They have the perfect health situation. Don't you care? And we're tempted to take control of the uncontrollable in the situation. Friends, beloveds, I think if God could say something to you in response to whatever Joseph level situation you find yourself in, I think he'd say the same thing to all of us. God would say this. He'd say, I love you. And I know you. Friends, those are three, six powerful words. I think I'm amazed that he knows me and he still loves me. I'll be honest with you. But he says to you, I love you and I know you. And I'm working on you and I'm working on it. How many times what looks like a hesitation is really preparation? That God is working on you. He's preparing you for whatever it is that he's gonna lead you into that long-term win. But there's a preparation part. And sometimes the preparation part, friends, feels a little bit like the furnace. It's like getting physically in shape. You know, everybody loves the results of somebody who gets up at 6 a.m. and goes and works out and does all that. And they're always like, hey, you're looking good. You're looking good. But you didn't roll out of bed and that just happened. There was preparation in that. And he's working on you, all things together for good for those who love him. And he's working on it. What's the it? It's the relationship. It, it, it's the situation, it's your children, it's, it's life, it's this world. He's working on it. He does not sleep, he does not slumber. In just a moment, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer of surrender. I'll give you the opportunity to maybe surrender some of these things that you're trying to control in your life. But before I do that, I think I just need to remind you a little bit about 
who it is we just sung about earlier in our gathering and how much he loves you. When Jesus was on the cross, nailed, bleeding, dying, looking down at the people who betrayed him, denied him, looking down at those ones who had forsaken him, he demonstrated the greatest act of love in human history in, in, in the universe. He stayed. He stayed on that cross. When the bombs were just raining down on him, all in an attempt to try to get him to deny us, to, to do away with us, to separate from us, to drop us, he stays. Friends, if Jesus wouldn't abandon you then, when all hell itself was raining down on him, he's not going to leave you now. Do you think that your worst day is somehow going to get him to stop loving you? Jesus experienced the worst that any human could ever experience, separation from God the Father. All of the, the forces of hell and evil just descending and accusing and, and, and suffocating, laid low into the grave, breath gone. And he broke out of that. Do you think somehow something you've done recently will somehow say, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done with you? If he didn't drop you then, he's not dropping you now. If he didn't abandon you then, he is not abandoning you now. Oh, the circumstances. But, you know, look around. I, I, listen, I know, I don't want to make light of what you're going through right now. I really don't. When Paul says that it's light and momentary troubles, it's not making light of the situation. It's light and momentary only in the light of heaven. And I'll be honest with you, friends, I probably, myself, I don't talk enough about heaven. Do you realize that your very best moment on this planet the moment where you just felt such adulation and excitement and exultation and joy and, and all of that, you, you can't even conceive of what someday our future in Christ is even going to look like. I mean, it's going to so exceed anything we know or have experienced in this life. Those moments where we felt true love in this world is nowhere near what we are going to experience in that perfect rest and that perfect love and that perfect joy of being with him forever. And God is in the process of transforming each of us. So let me close this part and then we're going to have some Q&A at the end. But, but I wonder if, if you would do, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We, we read that serenity prayer earlier, but that's not all of it. That's the most famous part of it. When Reinhold wrote that prayer, it's actually a little bit longer, and he says a bit more in it. And I want us as a community to say the entire prayer together. But what I'd like you to do is, if you're comfortable, I'd love you to hold your hands in front of you. What are those things you can't control? Is it a work situation? Is it a relational thing? Is it somebody in your life? Maybe somebody that just won't love you and you've tried hard. Is it a health situation? Life. Your grandkids? Your children? COVID? 
Whatever it is you can't control, would you just imagine it's in your hands right now because we're going to give it to Jesus who is benevolently in control, who like a great parent, the perfect parent, only wants the best for his children. And this is a moment of trust, a sacred moment of trust we're, we're leaning into. Remember, true spirituality that, that will be sustained in this life is not trying harder, it's trusting deeper. And this is a moment where you get to trust him a little bit deeper by giving him those things you keep trying to control in this life. So as you hold your hands in front of you and you have in your mind what that is that you try to control, you know, your image, what others think of you. If you're a young person, you know, school can be a great place and a cruel place. Maybe it's all those things and you're just like, you feel less than. Just put that in your hands. And as the words that come up on the TV here, I'm going to invite you to just say this prayer with me. Let's say it out loud together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking, as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next And then just sealing that prayer, saying together that word that means so be it. Let's say it together as a community. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing, both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.